It takes a village to build a season, and we are grateful that In Life Shiro's has chosen to become a part of ours. Thank you for supporting our show and helping us to continue sharing stories. Now, on to the episode. In an ideal world, we'd have superheroes to solve everyone's problems. That may not be the case for us, but a certain farmer, Darna, seems bent on having life imitate art. Nanette Medvedpo, successful actress turned multi-awarded philanthropist, is the founder and chairwoman of the nonprofit Hope and Plastic Credit Exchange Groups. You might be familiar with her bottled water brand, Hope in a Bottle, whose profits go to building public school classrooms, as well as agricultural and environmental initiatives. Or perhaps you've heard of the Aling Tindera Waste to Cash program, which allows people to sell their plastic waste and participate in the circular economy. These companies now operate on a global scale, and the good work that they do is a testament to their founder Nanette's passion and zeal to make a difference. We sit down and chat with her about why she does everything she does. My name is Leah Cruz. On this episode of What Glass Ceiling, we talk to Nanette Medvedpo. Hi, Nanette. Thank you so much for joining us on What Glass Ceiling. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you, Leah, for having me. Nowadays, your name is synonymous with all this good work that you do, your companies and causes that you really believe in. Can you tell us about your companies? How did they come about? I think they just organically grew from work I was doing. So, you know, I, when the work that you hear about today started in earnest about 10 years ago, and I was really very interested, not so much in becoming, you know, an FMCG or anything like that. I was more interested in making a point. I wanted to prove to the business community that a product that invests in social good might be rewarded by the market. That was kind of the goal. It, there was really no intention to become an ongoing FMCG. And, and so we started Hope in a Bottle. You know, 100% of our profit goes to building public school classrooms. And that was basically the message we were trying to tell or the, the story we were trying to tell. And, you know, very quickly thereafter, uh, we found some opportunities to also, you know, benefit our smallholder farmers through the work we were doing. So uh, that started becoming an intervention as well. So we started with education. We wound up going into agriculture and then eventually into the environment because I do sit on the board of WWF and our water is sold in a plastic bottle. And I was really horrified that we might be trying to help solve one problem in education, but then creating another one in the environment. And so it kind of all organically grew from work that started, uh, you know, in a very different place and now has become something much larger than, than we had thought. So you've been doing this for the past 10 years. Is that right? Yes, correct. Yeah. I mean, prior to that, I was, you know, I would sit on boards of other nonprofits or do some private sector work. But the current iteration, I guess, of, of, of my life it started about 10 years ago. What are the biggest challenges that you've faced so far in these past 10 years? The biggest challenge has been, um, I think, finding the right people to grow uh, the work that we do. I think traditionally, when people think of, uh, you know, investing in social good, they immediately think of a nonprofit or, you know, an NGO and, and, and the kind of discipline that's needed to run uh, a commercial entity is very, very different. And at the same time, 
you know, somebody from the commercial world may not have the same, uh, uh, how would you say, the same um, desire, or not maybe desire, but maybe the same uh, uh, experience to create uh, a bottom line outside of a single bottom line, right? So looking at uh, multiple stakeholder uh, impact. Tell us about specific instances where you have personally felt or seen the difference that you're making. Because I, I can imagine that it's not something you see every day. I mean, you believe in a in a bigger philosophy. There's a bigger goal, but you don't see the impact of what you do every single day. So what's it like when you actually get to see these instances? We actually do get to see the impact of our work every day. And that's the beauty of working with Hope because a lot, I mean, I, be, I am very involved, uh, not just in kind of, what happens in the office, but what happens in the field. So I do make trips out into the field regularly, um, especially, you know, around Manila, we have a very big uh, plastic waste uh, collection um, program so that we're diverting it away from nature. Um, so that's a big thing that, that we uh, feel every single day or we can touch every single day when we go out and, and see the impact. But having said that, our teams are regularly feeding in from the field. You know, we have projects in Mindanao, you know, et cetera. And basically that content, if you will, on impact filters in on a daily basis. So the team is constantly sharing their field notes, you know, and, and videos, photos from the field. So we feel very connected to the work we're doing, which I think is part of the appeal of hope, right? It's, you know, people come here because they want to feel very connected to the to the work that they're doing and the good that they're doing. And so hope does provide that. Let's get a little more specific. So can you tell us how exactly hope works or your other programs? Yeah. So, uh, you know, at a very simple uh, level, right, you have the bottled water and, and we just came out with our limited edition. Actually, it'll come out this week in Starbucks, but it says, does your water build classrooms? Right. So this is a very simple message. So at the base, that's our flagship product. 100% of the profit goes to building public classrooms. I think this is going to be released this week at Starbucks. So, you know, that's the, the basic product or the flagship product. Um, and then we have, you know, I, I don't know if you guys heard about the Million Tree Project. Um, that's part of our agriculture program, um, an environment program where we did a partnership with GCash and, you know, we said, we're going to build, we're going to plant a million trees, you know, in, in, in the Philippines, not only to provide livelihood to coconut farmers, uh, but also to provide additional carbon sequestration for the Philippines, who is on the front lines of the climate crisis, right? So that's, that's part of the work we do. We are very happy to report that we are on schedule to have uh, planted those million trees before the end of the year. Um, so really excited to see if we can't do several more million, you know, uh, next year and the years to come. And then uh, finally, we have our plastics program, right? So we, uh, the, the thing we're most famous for is what we call Aling Tindera. And Aling Tindera is we work with women, uh, sorry, sorry, store owners around the country uh, and, and empower them to buy the plastic waste from their community. Because if not, you know, People come, they buy their three-in-one coffee, whatever, you know, yeah. their sachets. And then they they just throw the basura out yeah. the window or whatever, and it winds up polluting the environment. Yeah. Right? Just dangerous, not just for planet, but for people, right? So 
um, what we say is, look, rather than throw it away, right, uh, please backhaul it to the Sari Sari store and she will purchase it from you. So there's, you're not only cleaning up the planet, planet, but you are ensuring kind, you're providing incremental income to the communities, right? It's yes. also helping the government, all of that stuff. But what we're doing is, uh, you know, at the very highest levels, creating uh, a market-based solution to plastics in the same way that you see it for botijario. You never yeah. see paper yeah. and plastic lying around on the street because, you know, people will collect it and sell it. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is create that behavior change for plastic so that it stops polluting the planet in the way it is now. Have you seen a difference in how people in the communities you work with approach it? Yes, we have. Um, and, and it's very interesting. It's slow because when we started yeah. to roll this out, uh, you know, in a meaningful way, it was COVID. And it's very yeah. difficult to get out of single-use plastics uh, when there's a pandemic, just for safety yeah. reasons. You yeah, just yeah. can't avoid it, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and there were restricted movements and otherwise. And so, you know, it was very difficult over the pandemic. But then as soon as restrictions were lifted and our team was able to move around and do proper training, speak to the community members, uh, especially the informal sector, waste pickers, all of that, and help them understand that, Please don't leave the plastic waste, you know, there to, to get blown into the river, into the ocean. Please bring it to us and we will purchase it from you. We're now really seeing an incredible um, uptick in, in impact. So I, I remember at the end of last year, we wound up cleaning up around 31 million kilos of uh, oh my plastic waste from, yes. from Manila, right? So that was, that was a big deal. Manila only. Manila, that's only yes. in Manila. Yeah, because I know that Correct. the Philippines is... Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure what number we are on the list of biggest users of... Yeah, we're number three. Yeah, but no, we're way no, up not there. Biggest, not biggest users, but uh, the third worst offender for ocean Yes, yes, yeah. Sure. That is that uh, is the proper term. Yeah, but you never want to be the top of any of those lists yeah. regardless. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, um... How difficult was it to convince the informal sector or those people who really cannot buy into these reusable, sustainable ideas in, in consuming their products? Like, it's really cheaper for them to buy the sachets, you know? It, it, it's what they can afford. How, yeah. how difficult is it to get that mindset in them? That I don't think there was any resistance to the informal sector because this is additional income for them if they can sell their plastic waste into an Alintendera a partner station. No? But I think what you're talking about is behavior change with regards to plastic in general. No? So yeah. I think we need to be, uh, we also need to approach this from a very realistic point of view. Uh, we absolutely advocate uh, at HOPE and at PCX, uh, which is actually the separate entity that deals with plastic. Um, we absolutely advocate that any plastic that can be reduced, removed, avoided should be, no? Uh, but that tends to be the option for people with money, yeah. you know? Um, so I think we also cannot uh, discriminate against this segment of the population who is very, very poor and buy sachets, not because they hate the planet, but because they can't afford Otherwise, right? They are poor. So, you know, your driver, when he gets sick, doesn't go out and buy a bottle of Tylenol because he can't afford it. He goes and they cut the tiny thing in blister packs because that's what he can afford, right? 
Um, and I don't think we should uh, penalize the poor further, right? They're already already suffering quite a bit. So what we're trying to do is find a happy balance, right? Um, ideally, at some point, we find our way out of unessential plastics. There will always be some portion of plastic footprint globally that will be essential. I mean, we'll all be dead if the medical space had no plastic, right? So, or, or food security, right? So there are some applications for which plastics makes complete sense. Um, but for anything that is unessential, hopefully we can really find our way out of it. Um, and we then don't have to worry about cleaning up all of this post-consumer plastic waste, right? But I, we, we do work uh, both on an upstream and a downstream solution so that we're reducing plastic, but then also cleaning up anything that, you know, might wind up leaking into nature. You mentioned earlier that um, with hope, you didn't want to add to the plastic problem because the it's bottled water. It comes in a, a bottle of plastic. So I'm sure that while you were establishing hope, there was always that tension there at the back of your head. Yeah. And there I call it some sort of guilt that, that you were using these yeah. plastic. Yeah. How, how did you, how did you deal with it and come up with a solution for it that you could actually take control of? Yeah. So it's really interesting. Um, I, I almost think like I had to be in plastics to get to where I am because it, you wind up learning a lot. I think part of the problem um, around plastics is people don't know enough about the problem. So all of a sudden they think of very simplistic solutions. It's actually a highly complex problem. So um, plastic bottles like this, like PET, are not the same as the sachets that you are buying. There are many, there are at least seven different kinds of plastic um, and thousands of iterations of those seven, right? So not all plastics are recyclable, right? Uh, at least not in, in the way that we, we think about. And second, um, there are some plastics that are not the problem, uh, at least in terms of a waste management point of view. So uh, plastic PET bottles, your, your beverage bottles, especially the clear ones, are actually not, uh, you don't find them polluting the oceans or the rivers because people actually collect it. There is a market value to that and they sell it for recycling, either recycling into another bottle, recycling into clothing, right? like whatever, it, it gets recycled. So plastic bottles, at least in the Philippines, has a very high collection rate. Now, we can make an argument that there's still a problem because it's a petroleum-based product and we are trying to reduce the amount of petroleum that we're, you know, virgin plastics that we that we produce. I absolutely agree with that. If we had a market that could afford, uh, you know, water in glass bottles or in aluminum, you know, we would definitely do that. Um, so we did. What we wound up doing is saying, okay, uh, let's ask our customers which one of ones of them can afford to pay for a more expensive packaging. And we wound up moving into a Tetra Pak water. I'm, I'm sure you've seen Hope in a Box. Um, it's the water in, you know, Ikea and all of that. Yeah. That That is a boxed water. Um, so anybody who could afford to get out of a plastic bottle, we certainly ask them to do so. So a larger and larger part of our business is now going into boxed water. Uh, there is still some plastic in that. So I still argue on, you know, which is the lesser evil. But um, we do say, okay, you know, any plastic footprint that we have, regardless of whether it is plastic in Tetra or plastic in bottles, as a producer, we should be 100% responsible for the plastic we put out into the market. And so what Hope did is said, look, if we have to deal in water, in plastic format, 
whatever format. We should also be responsible to make sure that that footprint doesn't pollute the environment, right? So that was the journey we went on. And, and it was a difficult one because you have competing priorities of, yeah. you know, as a business, right, as a brand, as an environmentalist, right, uh, in my part, um, thinking about this from government point of view, uh, government just passed EPR legislation, and we actually are very proud to have participated in the crafting of that, uh, which will take effect in November, right? So we're very, very excited about that. But I think if we had not gone on the journey of understanding plastics and how complex it is and what are the solutions, especially in developing countries like the Philippines that don't have infrastructure to recycle, what do you do, right? So this was a very, very important learning experience for us. And now we're exporting it abroad. PCX doesn't just exist in the Philippines, but it's now a global enterprise helping companies around the world take responsibility for their footprints. Being who you are, being Nanette Medved, have you seen a special or specific kind of influence that you wield, whether with the people you directly come into contact with or those who you try to help with your, with your businesses? I think domestically, there is a... Uh, there's a little bit of an echo, you know, somebody's like, ah, yeah, I kind of remember somebody who has that name, right? So um, I think in the domestically, there is some, I have a little bit of a soapbox that I can step on and hopefully have my voice heard. But globally, absolutely not, right? We have to, it is a merit-based system and you are yeah. in a noisy marketplace and you really need to be able to deliver something of value for people to pay attention. So I think that globally, that's not necessarily an advantage I have, but maybe domestically a little bit, right? People who are, you know, 100 years old might remember some of my work. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I do have to ask, why do you do what you do. I mean, let's let's face it. Let's be frank here. You're already beautiful. You're rich. You're famous. Why go through all this trouble? I, it can't be easy, I'm sure. I think it's important. You're given a gift in life. Everybody's given some different gifts in life. And I think you, at least in my case, what's it for, right? I mean, do I really need another handbag? Or, I mean... And I don't own a handbag, but I mean, I'm just saying, right? So I personally, and this is not everybody, this is not for everyone, but I personally feel like I've been given a gift in this life or, or several gifts in this life. And I feel like it shouldn't end with me. The, the whole point of, you know, giving shouldn't stop, right? There should be, it should continue. And so if it stops with me, I'm a little bit of a waste of space, aren't I? So, um, that's my reason. I, I don't know about everybody else. What are your thoughts on using or making the most of your privilege? I, 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 well, yeah, I you're, you're, you're people, an example of that. <laughs> I, I, I feel, I personally feel like, look at the world around you. I mean, pick your Armageddon, right? Business as usual didn't work. And so I almost feel like we have an obligation, a duty to do something, right? I mean, again, uh, it would be really, really horrible if I think people who were lucky enough to have more just kept accumulating, right? I feel like yeah. I feel like you need to you need to benefit the world around you. 
Do you do you see an impact being done? Do you, do you see people listening or waking up and and taking up the mantle as you have as well? Oh yeah, I mean, when I started, not so much. Right back then, I think people just thought I was weird. Um, <laughs> but I I think I have so much faith in you know the, especially young people today um, because they really do care about you know working for a company that represents their values or purchasing products that invest in, in things that are important to them. And they really are not the generation that created this problem, right? And, and are interested in making a difference. You see this not just in your, you know, your average office worker who really cares about the impact that they're making uh, in the world, but even all the way up to, you know, global philanthropists, um, it used to be that philanthropy was all about, or, you know, I'm going to donate, you know, X amount of money to put a slap my name on a building, right? That, that's what philanthropy used to be. But nowadays, um, this generation doesn't look at their money the same way. They want it to go to work, to do good things, to do real things. They invest in, you know, uh, impact companies, in sustainable, you know, all, all sorts of, there, there's so much opportunity to mobilize their money to do good in the world. And I really see that more and more. I just came from a conference in Singapore and this is how philanthropy is being thought of today. And that is incredibly important because we need as much uh, help as possible to solve the world's problems. Making the jump from show business here in the Philippines, from being an actress to doing what you do must have been quite an abrupt change of scenery, I have to say. I mean, they're very different worlds. They're very different worlds. What was your eureka moment when you decided to pursue advocacy work full-time as opposed to working in or maybe returning to the entertainment industry where I'm sure you would have been welcomed or you were already established and successful? I don't think there was... I think there were a few moments. I don't think it was one in particular. But if I had to pick out uh, two, just because I don't want to take up all of our time here Mm -hmm. today... If I had to pick out two, I think one moment would have been um, I was Darna on a float, you know, when we were promoting the movie. And, you know, at that, I was young and I was thinking, oh, you know, this is really cool. But then there was this moment where I was looking down at the crowd and you had everything, you know, men, women, lolas, children, and they all look up at you with this admiration and, and you almost feel like, you can't waste that, right? There's incredible power in being able to influence somebody positively. How can you not, right? How can, how can you talk about things that are unimportant or, or, or will not improve somebody's life, right? So that was one moment. But of course, I was still an actress and didn't understand exactly how I was going to leverage that for anything meaningful. So I thought, huh, okay, at the very least, I should try and be a good example, right? So that was one aha moment. Um, and then the second aha moment was the one that led to hope. I, I, was, I came across the campaign of Bono of U2 fame. Oh my God, I'm showing my age. Uh, but Bono of U2 fame, who started Product Red in the US. And he got all these yeah. giant companies, yeah. you know, Starbucks, Apple, American Express, Gap, like Nike, all these big companies to, to say, look, let's offer a red product and that will go to solving a social good. In this case, it was AIDS in Africa. And so he mobilized a community to do good, something other than 
issue dividends to shareholders, right? And I thought, now that's the way to do this. And so I was trying to convince companies in the Philippines. And back then, I think that's why people thought there was something wrong with me. I said, hey, guys, what if you weren't just being profitable for your own shareholders, but you were investing in something meaningful for nation building, right? Whether it's education or nutrition or, you know, whatever. Pick your problem. There are so many in the world, right? Um, why don't you think about a, you know, double, triple or multiple bottom line, right? So that you're not just benefiting yourselves. And I think people were just like, yeah, go away. <laughs> and so I, I, in a, literally, I remember this moment, I was in a fit of anger in my dressing room, like in tears and shouting at someone, you know, and saying who, who didn't want to do this, by the way. And I was saying, how can you be so irresponsible? And I said, you know what? I'm going to show you. I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> I have no, I, to your point, so different. I have no business doing what I was doing uh, because I have no skills to launch a bottled water line and sell it into modern trade or to general trade or whoever, like no skills at all. So I had to really, uh, eat humble pie and learn an entirely different skill set. I remember I was running Hope out of the bedroom next to my my bedroom. (laughs) And uh, my poor husband, he was very understanding. I was, you know, calling Mercury Drug to ask them if they needed water. And I would deliver the water out of my car. And people were like, what's the matter with her? Why is she carrying boxes of water into mercury drug, right? So it was very much a a humbling experience. And luckily though, back then, maybe people remembered, you know, oh, you know, yeah, wasn't that the person who was doing the whole, you know, Wonder Woman thing? Um, They took a meeting with me and I, I guess out of curiosity more than, you know, what's she going to do? So they would take the meeting. I would, you know, tell them my pitch about, uh, you know, the water and how we were investing in the education of our youth. And they said, okay, we'll try, you know. And so I got some amazing companies to support us, you know, Starbucks, 7-Eleven and and those guys. And we did very, very well. So 10 years on, who would have thought we would be where we are today? So you've outlined actually um, how powerful connections can be or how powerful your past as as a famous actress can be. But has your past profession also made people underestimate you? And how did that make you feel? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But rightfully so. I mean, you know, they don't have an opportunity to see any other side. You know, people in the entertainment business rarely get an opportunity to show this side of themselves. So, you know, I, when I come in, I think they thought I was going to do a song and dance, right? So, uh, but 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 that almost works in your benefit, right? Because you have the opportunity then to really show them that, uh, hey, you know, I've got something to say and, and give me a chance here. So I do, I don't I don't take that against people. I think that's totally fine. Yeah. How much work did you have to do to acquire your new skill set? Like to get from point A to point B where you were finally confident enough running this enterprise and and knowing that you could make it work? I had to put in a lot of work. Uh, Yes, I, 
I am naturally an introvert. So going out and having to do a sales job was like the polar opposite of what my comfort zone was. So I think a lot of it was just kind of forcing myself out of my comfort zone uh, was a big deal. But then once I'm, I'm also naturally, I think, a student at heart, I love to learn things. So I went back to school, you know, um, um, and sat at the very front of the class, like the nerd I am. (laughs) And like, you know, had meetings with my teachers to understand something that I may not have understood and, you know, really, really tried to learn. And, and, and outside of, you know, formal education, you know, school, I also enlisted the people who I now call hope heroes. And these are all, you know, experts in their field, whether it's marketing or sales or supply chain or, you know, finance, I actually enlisted a group of mentors and I would meet with them and I'd say, teach me, <laughs> right? And the, the nice thing about having that, uh, that sort of support group is um, not only are you learning, but you'll be very surprised. I, I think any of your listeners who are trying to do something good, if they go out and, and solicit support, even from people who have a full-time job, and by the way, every time, everyone I had was a full-time job, had a full-time job somewhere else. Many people are looking for a way to to do something good. And even if that means just helping one person understand, uh, you know, teaching one person about your work and how that might contribute to good, they will do it. So in my case, you know, I would call up marketing people and say, how do you do this? And, you know, please teach me because I'm trying to build classrooms, you know, or um, and and it, it is wonderful because you wind up seeing an incredibly good side of people that aren't always obvious when you yeah. you know them in 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 the wild. You're you're very well educated, and with hope, you're building classrooms. How much do you value education, and how important does it figure into giving people new opportunities or or setting the foundations for uh, a life that is that is good? No, I mean, education is critical, right? I mean, if I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the human capital index and, you know, it, education is key in, in that, right? So, and in the Philippines, we pre-pandemic were 79 out of 79 in the OECD uh, study for countries, um, you know, reading, math. That means that the country is slated to get poorer and poorer as time goes by, right? And, and with the pandemic, I don't even, we, we've crashed through the floor, right? There is no way we really need to invest in education um, if we expect this country to reach its potential. And I know it's a long-term investment. And in our case, we're not in, investing in the software, right? We're investing more in the hardware. Uh, but we absolutely need to look at educating the population. I think 88% of the population goes to public schools. If we can't make it right for them, it doesn't matter how good the private schools are. So I think it's super, super important that we take the long view, investing not only in education, but in nutrition, which is kind of the partner of that. Um, if we expect this country to emerge from the path that it's on, which is not a good one. The conversation around advocacy work and working for a cause 
has really opened up in, in recent years. And, and I think you've touched on it already that before people were more closed off, but now it's being woke is just a part of this generation's identity. It's important to them, especially the youth. And we see more and more people, more and more companies, more young people specifically become more enlightened and, and really make it part of their identity or their personality to have a cause that they believe in and fight for. But at the same time, there's still so much work to be done. And you really don't know, especially when you're working on something for the environment, you don't know if there's light at the end of the tunnel. How do you hold on to that? How do you hold on to the hope that your hard work will bear fruit? You have absolutely no assurances. And I think that you simply have a duty to hope. Um, look around you, right? People who don't have hope are easily manipulated, suffer from mental health issues. And, you know, there's just, there's too much devastation in the world. Um, so, and, and, and absolutely one person, you know, may not be able to move the needle, but you have to believe that the work that you're doing will result in something like the ripple effect, right? So you talked about education earlier. Uh, the estimate is that the investment on education for every $1 invested is 13X, right? So just try and remember that. And, it, and you may not be working in education. You may be working in your own, right? Some advocacy or some issue that is important to you that has a similar you know, it has an a similar important metric on return on investment. Think about just putting one foot in front of the other and you will be surprised how far you can go. I never thought, I mean, we're not changing, you know, the world in a way that, you know, feels big at the moment, but we have come so far from where we were 10 years ago and impacting at least a few lives. And I think that that is an important journey that has to be walked in faith rather than in, in fact, right? If you don't get the data that supports that you're doing something good, please walk in faith because it is super, super important for the future of people and the future of planet. Right. And you named your company Hope. Is there a story? Yes. Is there a story behind that? Is there a specific story behind that? I think hope is a very powerful part of life. Um, and I wanted, you know, we, this is the world that brought the, you know, or this is the country that brought the world people power, right? And I was hoping that we could use that force for good every day when we make a decision about what we purchase or what we support. Um, because democratizing movements, you know, whether it's political or social or economic, is the only way we're going to change something in the world. It's not going to be, you know, some billionaire up in his office making a decision to write a check for charity. That's not the way the world changes. You really need to democratize these social movements um, to create meaningful change. And I think we need to have hope to do that because to the point you were making earlier, the data isn't always there to support it. So you have to walk in faith or in hope. How do you work with the next generation to carry on this fight? You know, the truth is I think the next generation is already so invested in creating change for the world that it probably won't even need my influence. Um, I think I might have just started it, uh, you know, a little bit earlier, but I, I have full confidence that um, this generation is going to do much better than the previous ones when it comes to thinking more broadly about social good uh, or, or environmental good. 
I also would like to ask about, you know, how you, you seem to have two very different chapters in your life, like the chapter that you worked in, in the entertainment industry and in the chapter you are in now. What would you tell women who are perhaps looking to start up a new chapter or who are afraid to do so? Like they, they feel like this is the path I've chosen and I can't stray from it. I can't start something new because I'm afraid. What would you tell them? I, I would say um, <laughs> it is never worth it to walk in fear. Um, your motivation for anything should never be fear. Um, and, and by the way, the polar opposite of that is hope, right? So I think if you, there, I tend to live my life from my deathbed, right? I'm always saying, am I going to look back and regret this? Um, how do I want to look back on my life? And I don't think I want to look back on it in fear, right? I don't want to be motivated by that. I want to be motivated by something positive. And so I would highly discourage doing anything out of fear, but more out of something positive. What about for those looking for their purpose in life? They probably don't, they probably haven't found it yet. They, they don't have any inkling what it is, but what would you tell them? I think you, it's, it's super easy. So I'm going to tie in something you mentioned earlier and something you just mentioned. So I think it's super easy. You actually uh, look for something you're passionate about, right? It could be anything. Um, and then see how you might be able to make a little bit of a difference in that thing that you're passionate about. And then don't be afraid. Just go, right? It doesn't mean that you quit your job today, right? That's also not being sensible, but maybe it starts off first as something on the side, right? You're volunteering on the side and then you start to take some leadership, you know, over time. And as it, if it's something that starts to make sense, then you gradually make that transition. But I would highly recommend finding something if it doesn't exist in your work. Um, and, and in many cases it doesn't, um, you know, find something on the side you're passionate with. Uh, if you're part of a church, you know, maybe they have something, or if you are part of some, other kind of organization that is doing things uh, that you are passionate about, just explore it initially as a volunteer and learn the space. And eventually you may find yourself, um, you know, being a really big force to contend with in that. So, and there are enough problems in the world to go around. So, you know, take your position, let's get to work. <laughs> there, there's a lot of material to work with. <laughs> there is, there is. What are the biggest lessons that you've learned so far from your life journey? I think what you said earlier, you, you can't operate from a position of fear. Um, I think that just leads to failure. Um, so so that's probably one big one because I know, and I, I know it's easier said than done, but I did start off my journey like terribly fearful. I was, I remember before I launched, the day before the press conference of Hope, when I launched 10 years ago, I was in tears, you know, I was weeping in the, you know, in the middle of the night saying, oh my God, what am I doing? What if I fail? It's going to be so public and, you know, so embarrassing. And, you know, they're going to say that I'm so full of myself, you know, but I thought, you know what, if I fail in the service of something good, that's okay. Right. Because you're, it's not like you're, you're trying to help. And, you know, sometimes it takes a few tries before you help, but don't be afraid. I think that was the big, um, that, that was one big takeaway. And then the other one is be bold, right? Which is probably a nice compliment to don't be afraid. So, uh, you know, dream big and you never know, right? You never know where it'll take you. 
Nanette, thank you so much for being on What Glass Ceiling. Before we, before we release you, before we let you go, can you tell us the words that you live by every day? I would probably say, try not to be a waste of space. I love that. Nobody tells you that. Nobody tells you that, but it's so important. <laughs> because if you're just looking after yourself, then what's the yeah. point, right? The world, the, the planet would have been no worse or better off if you were around. Yeah. So, so I think that's, I don't know. I, I, yeah. Thank you so much. That's, that's very important. I have to say, I'm going to go around telling people that more, more, <laughs> more and <laughs> oh more. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not in a bad <laughs> way. No, yeah, yeah. Not in a bad way, but that's, that's, that's great advice. I don't think people get in your face and say that enough. Yeah, or if you want something more use like something kinder, maybe just say be kind and be useful. Okay. Okay. Right? <laughs> okay. Right? So so I'm modifying, I'm doing giving you a yeah, you know, yeah. a, a, a softer version. <laughs> no, but I I I I I really do. I really do like it because people are always trying to spare your feelings and then they don't get in your face and say try not to be a waste of space, but it's something that you need to hear. Good. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Nanette, for being on What Glass Ceiling. Thank you very much. Feel like you need a little more female support? Visit www.inlifesheroes.com for more information or to connect with a financial advisor.